once when I started there, Brother Jameson was around, and he told me, if you ever can't think of topics, he goes, just pick out a book of the Bible and start preaching through it. So recently, that's what I decided to do. I prayed real hard, and I thought about what book I was going to preach through, and I, I settled on the book of 1 Peter. And the reason why is that I believe the, the three main themes of this book really related to my audience. And what are those themes of that book? Well, one, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. That's one of the major themes there in 1 Peter. Two, the second major theme is that suffering isn't inevitable. You know, we're all going to suffer at some point in our Christian lives. It's not all peachy. It's not all great. But, but that suffering is going to be used by God to strengthen our faith. And the third major theme of the book of 1 Peter is, is that the end is coming soon, right? While the world is not our home, we do have an everlasting home in heaven, and that end is near. And I thought that just that kind of topic really resonated with the people of the nursing home. I thought it would, so I decided to preach through that. And uh, as I thought about what I was going to do today, there was a topic as I was preaching through a few weeks ago that really kind of spoke to my heart, and that's why I wanted to bring you a message on today. And I'm entitling this message, Be Ye Holy. So kind of keep that in mind as we get going through the Word of God today. So if you're in 1 Peter, we're going to start off reading in, chapter, in uh, chapter 1, verse 13. The Bible reads, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves in according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manners of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Who by him do you believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God? Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love to the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, which by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever, for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the, Lord, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving me a chance to stand up and, and preach from your word, God. I pray that you fill me with your spirit, God. Guide my words, guide my mouth, so I say things that are that are edifying and truthful out of the word of God. And I pray that you fill the spirit and your room fills the spirit and everyone, someone might hear it and may edify them today. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you notice our passage here, it starts with the word wherefore. Why? Because of these things or as a result of these things. Right? So we need to back up just a little bit here in the book and say, why is that there? What is the wherefore from? Right? So in the first, the first chapter here, if we look back, what is Peter telling his readers here? He's sending this off to some new believers who are scattered throughout what is now 
in Asia Minor, which is uh, now like the land of Turkey, right? So he told him there in verse 3, he said, we are born again by the power of God, right? Verse number 3 of 1 Peter, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So God has made us born again. In verse 4, we read, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away. So while we are born again now, we have an inheritance of God, right? That inheritance is heaven. And it's not going to fade away. It's not going away. It is promised to us. And we cannot lose this inheritance because as it says in verse verse 5, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Right? It is by the power of God that keeps us our salvation, that we are not losing this inheritance in heaven. So that's the first thing he's telling the believers. And then verses 6 through 12, Peter goes on to tell these people that we believe these things that which we have not seen. Right? We believe through faith, without sight. These are the things that the prophets of the past have spoken of, things that they had wanted to see, but they did not get a chance to see, but in this time have been revealed to us through the preaching of the gospel. And we need to rejoice in this, right? No matter what kind of, what comes our way, no matter what kind of trials, what kind of tribulations come our way, we need to rejoice in those three things, that Christ died on the cross from us, and that because he did and he was resurrected from the dead, we have a lively hope of eternal life in heaven, and that it is not fading away. Wherefore, why? Because of that, because we are rejoicing, because of what Christ did, We need to get prepared for the second coming of Christ. That is what it's telling us there in verses 13 through 14. Read it again. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought to you unto the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? Gird up the loins of your mind. Back in the old days, right, the men wore robes. So whenever they were getting ready to do something, if they needed to get somewhere in a hurry, they had to gird up their loins. They had to pull that cloth up, get it above their knees so they were ready to run. That's what God is telling us here. Get your minds ready. Let's get ourselves prepared. Get in the right mindset for when Jesus Christ comes back that second time. Be sober, Peter teaches us here. And of course, you know, we think of sober being free from alcohol and wine and having a clear mind. And that's definitely true, right? But in the greater context of the thing here, what he's saying, he's saying being single focused, right? Be focused on one thing. And that one thing being the coming of Christ again in the future. Verse 14 tells us, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. We need to be as obedient children. This is all getting us prepared, right? Wherefore? Because, because God saved us. Because he did that for us. Rejoice and get yourself prepared for when God comes back the next time. I like to think of a, of a football player getting ready for a big game. Right? They got their headphones on. They, maybe they're sitting over there in the corner and they're just, you know, got their eyes closed and they're thinking they're probably listening to some of that heavy metal music that Joey likes back there. You know, getting ready to go out and, and be a warrior out on that field. They got their eyes focused. They're focused. They're singularly focused. They're focused on one thing what they need to do to go out and win the game. When they're doing that, you know, they're thinking about their playbook, thinking about what they're supposed to do in this game. What are they going to do for the team to win? They're not looking about what they're going to do for their individual glory. They're thinking about what can I do? How am I going to obey my coach? What is my job as I go out there 
and what is going to be the best for the team to win. This is how we need to be as Christians when we're preparing ourselves, right? We need to speak to ourselves, sing to ourselves in hymns and Christian music. We need to be singularly focused on Christ and what we need to be doing to be a good Christian witnesses. We need to be thinking about our playbook and what our coach, our counselor, right? This is our playbook. This is what God told us. This is the things we should be doing. We need to keep those front and center in our own mind, putting aside our own desires, being as obedient as children, you know, delaying our pleasure in worldly things and storing for ourselves up treasures in heaven, realizing that what we're doing on this earth is not for our glory, not for our glory at all, but for the glory of God. And we strive to do what is best. Unlike the football players, though, we're not hoping to win the game. We know how their game ends, right? We know we're going to come out victorious. But we have an expected hope. We get the victory through Jesus Christ, but we still want to play the game the best we can. We still want to run our race. We still want to live the life that God has called us to live. We prepare our mind, stay focused, and behave obediently so that one day we're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, because we follow the exhortation of the Lord to be holy. That is what we strive to do in this life, is to be holy. Right? Verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manners of conversation. And it's not just talking about our words here, right? It's how we behave, how we act, how we treat each other. God is exhorting us to be holy. Verse 16, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. You know, wow. You might think, but that, that's hard. How can, how can God ask that of me, right? That, that's an impossible standard. Our, our God is holy because he's pure, right? He's a sinless God. He's a perfect God. No evil's found in him. How does God expect me to be like that? I mean, even in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, and Jesus said to him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. And I think people trying to be holy, people trying to live a holy life, has driven many people away from Christianity because they don't understand what God is asking of them here, right? They're thinking, I have to be perfect. Man, God's telling me I need to be just like him. I need to be perfect. They say, I try to control my temper, right? I get angry, but I can't. Therefore, you know, I'm not living up to God's standards. I'm not holy. I try to keep my mind free of lusting after others or coveting what others have. I try, God. I really do, but I fail. Therefore, I must, I must not be holy. I must be falling short. I do my best to be honest and forthright and loving at all times, God, but you know what? I just can't do it. I fail. There is no way that I can be holy like God is holy. Well, I say you're correct. You know, we can't be sinless. We can't be pure like our holy God on our own, but we can be when we let Jesus into our lives, right? When we take on his righteousness, when the righteousness of God is imputed to us by our faith in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we live lives that are guided by the Holy Spirit, then we can begin to get some holiness of God, right? God calling us to be holy as he is holy, it's not a command that he's putting on to us. Rather, it's an exhortation because he knows it's not something we can do in our flesh. It's something that he's encouraging us to do. Somewhere where he wants us to grow to, right? He knows that in our flesh it is not possible. Psalm 14.3 tells us 
They're all going to sigh. They've all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. In the New Testament, this is repeated to us. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. What God is telling us to be holy, as I said, he's not commanding us to be perfect. Rather, he's exhorting us, encouraging us to have our minds right, our hearts right with God, to set them on him, to be different than the rest of the world. Peter here, when he's telling people, you know, be ye holy as it is written, be ye holy for I am holy, he's quoting from the Old Testament, from the book of Leviticus. It's written in there over and over again. And if you research the old Hebrew word that is translated into holy, the literal meaning of the word holy there is to set oneself apart or to separate yourself unto God, to be different from the world, to be singularly focused on God and the things of God. Let's read a couple of those verses from Leviticus and see if we can get a kind of a more truer meaning here. In Leviticus 11:44. God writes, for I am the Lord your God, ye shall, you shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 27, sanctify yourselves therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. You notice the key word in both of those verses there? Starts with an S, right? Sanctify yourself. Sanctify, to prepare yourself, to get ready. To be made holy. Sanctification is a lifelong process of the believer. It's not something that, that just happens one day. All of a sudden we're not holy. We're sanctifying ourselves, trying to become holy. It begins with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at salvation. At the moment that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our sanctification process begins. At that point, we become set aside. We start now... We are found to be righteous in the sight of God because of our faith. So striving to, hold, to be holy, right, is not something we're due to earn our way to heaven. It's not something we do to prove that we love God. It's something we do because God first loved us. It's something that we want to do because we realized what the price that Christ has paid for us. We do it because we are saved. As Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. So that is why we are striving to be holy, why we sanctify ourselves, because we love God, and because we want to become more and more like him all the time. As I said, it's not to earn our salvation. But Peter, on, Peter goes on to tell us a couple things that we can do here in these verses that we read. If we do want to become holy, things we need to do. First thing we need to do if we want to grow in our holiness is we need to fear God. Preaching, preaching to a Sunday school class this morning, I assume most of us in here, if not all of us, will claim that they are saved. So at one point in time, we all had the fear of God in us. Right? We all had a great fear of what God could do to us because of what Christ said in Matthew 28. That was in the forefront of our minds at some point. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both the soul 
and the body in hell. And so at some point, I had a great fear of God. Sean, you had a great fear of God. Josh, great fear of God, right? It was there because we didn't want to go to hell. We knew that God had that power. God could do that to us. And fearing God is such a vital part of a Christian's life, right? Proverbs 1.7 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding, right? The proverb here is telling us this is just the beginning. We can't have understanding. We can't have knowledge. We can't have wisdom in this life without a fear of the Lord. Rather, we stay ignorant, right? It doesn't matter if you come to my school and you sign up and you take my accounting class. Maybe you sign up for some calculus classes, take some chemistry classes, it's not going to bring you wisdom. I can tell you some of the people that I work with, some of the people that are most highly esteemed in this world, they've got their doctorate degrees, they're some of the most ignorant people I know because they lack a fear of God. It says in Romans, right, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You notice here it says that the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end, it's just the start. But unfortunately for many Christians, that's where it ends. Right? We fear God and we begin to get some knowledge. We begin to get some wisdom. We get to know God and we start to get comfortable. And the fear starts to fade away. In the 1890s, residential electricity was just becoming a thing in the United States of America. And this was something new to everybody. And you can imagine, people were probably pretty afraid at the time. Because, I mean, I don't know if anybody had kind of an ornery grandpa like me. But he used to tell me, you know, if you want to test out if this 9-volt battery works, go ahead and stick it on your tongue, right? And that'll let you know. I got myself a couple good zaps by doing that. Electricity is a pretty powerful thing. Well, imagine they're just getting ready and they're sending all the power lines into everybody's homes. And people don't really understand electricity right now. It was written that in the, in the 1920s, Woodrow Wilson in the White House, he wouldn't even turn on his own light switch out of a fear of being electrocuted. He'd have one of his servants come and flip that switch from him. By the late 1930s, you know, electricity was spreading throughout the United States, getting through the rural areas of the, of the southeast and stuff like that. People were afraid. They wasn't sure how this was going to affect their lives. Right? It got so bad that the, the government had to start what they called the Rural Electrification Administration. This is a group of people. They traveled from small rural city to rural city having what they called electricity circuses. Right? They were showing people here not how not to be afraid of electricity. They were giving them knowledge. They were teaching them how their lives were going to improve, that there was, there was nothing to be afraid of. And as time passed, people became more knowledgeable about, about electricity. They became more accepting of electricity. And that fear started to fade away. How many people in this room are afraid to flip on a light switch today out of the fear of getting electrocuted? Anybody? Does anybody really have a fear of getting electrocuted in any way today. But electricity is still powerful. Electricity can still zap you. Electricity can still kill you when it's handled wrong. Right? But we're comfortable. we got a level of knowledge and comfortability. Right? This is how we can get sometimes in our Christian walk. Right? We start to get knowledge. We start to get comfortable with God. We start to hear things like, like God is love and in 1 John 
chapter 4, he says, where perfect love casteth all fears. But what we forget from that verse is, is that we don't have perfect love in God. You know, there's only one that's perfect, and that is God himself. And that was Jesus that came to this earth. So we can't love perfectly. So we can't cast out all our fears. If we're going to have a, a healthy love of God, there has to be some fear in there. We have to remember that our God is powerful. Right? We cannot get too comfortable in our knowledge of God. Hebrews 12.28 tells us that, right? It says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and a godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Right? Our God is still powerful. Our God still is a consuming fire. We need to serve him with fear, reverence fear, a godly fear. We fear God out of reverence and of awe for what he's done with us, what he's done for us, right? We don't have to fear an eternity in hell if we're saved, right? We don't have to worry about our eternal punishment, that original fear that brought us to God, but we fear God because of what he's done for us. As it says here in our, verse, in our, in our, uh, our main text here, right? In verse 18, we are not saved with corruptible things. You know, it wasn't gold or silver that saved us. It was the work of God. Verse 19, it was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As an unblemished lamb, Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, he took away the sins of the world. In verse 20, this was the plan of God from before time. What a loving God we had that he knew that this was going to have to come to pass. And because he knew this, and he was still ready to suffer and die for us, because all that he's done for us, we ought to have that reverent fear of him, a fear of disappointing him, a fear of not doing what he asks us to do. Right? And that's going to lead us to walk in a path of righteousness, as righteous as we can be in our flesh. In our flesh. Proverbs 16.6 says, By mercy and truth, inequity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. We fear the chastisement of this Lord in this lifetime. But more than that, we need to fear standing in front of him at the judgment seat of Christ. Right? In 2 Corinthians, it tells us we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things he's done in his body, according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And I know I got a fear of that. In my heart and soul. I remember as a kid, you know, you do something wrong and you come home from school and you have to tell your mom. And, you know, my mom used to give me spankings with the metal end of a fly swatter. But by the time I was about 11, 12 years old, that, that didn't scare me anymore. My mom could just, she just couldn't swing it hard enough to make it hurt. But she'd say, oh, wait till your dad gets home. And I'm sure people have heard that before, right? Wait till your father gets home and he's going to take care of it, right? Didn't that put a strike of fear in you when you were a child? Didn't that make you think, oh boy, now I know I'm in some trouble. Wait until you see your heavenly father, right? We should have that same fear. Wait until you're standing in front of the Lord Jesus Christ one day and you see his nail-pierced hands. You see his nail-pierced feet. You see where he is stabbed in the side as he hung there on the cross suffering for you. You get reminded of the full price that he paid for our sins. And then why should we even be here with him if it wasn't for what he'd done? Do you really want to look him into his eyes? Do you really want to look at him and explain how you willfully disobeyed? How you thought that his rules didn't matter? 
How you thought you could do whatever you want? I can live the way I want to be. Oh, I know your book says be ye holy, but I didn't want to. I didn't have to. I didn't need to be afraid of you because I put my trust in you and I knew I was coming to heaven, right? I don't want that to happen. I don't want to look in Jesus' eyes and tell him that all his suffering was for naught. It just gave me free will to do what I want. When you fear that and you fear what he can do to us on this earth, that's having a healthy fear of God. That brings us closer to him. And that is the first step in creating our holiness is that fear of God. Paul goes on. He says, not only do we need to fear God to gain some holiness, to start that sanctification process in becoming holy, also tells us we need to love one another, love other people. In verse 22, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit of unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart and fervently. And we need to have love for all the people of this earth. We need to have love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? It tells us in verse 23, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. Right? Everyone that is born again is our brother and sister. We need to treat them like family. We are all the body of Christ. We need to love them. We need to show them love. How do we show them love? Well, I don't think it could be better explained anything than, than how it's said in 1 Corinthians, right? In chapter 13, charity suffereth long and is kind, right? People are going to get on our nerves. Our brothers and sisters of Christ, we're not going to agree with everything they say. They're not going to do everything we want them to do. They're not always going to behave the way we want them to behave. But we suffer along with it. We are still kind. Charity envieth not, right? Some of y'all have stuff I don't have. Sean, you got a great talent for music. Sometimes I wish I had it, but I'm not to envy your talent. I'm to rejoice in it and be glad that you have it so that I get to hear it, even though I can't do that myself. I'm not jealous. I'm not upset, right? Charity vaunted not itself is not puffed up. Stay away from pride, right? Just because I may be able to do accounting better than some of y'all sitting out there, I don't need to get a big head about it, right? Because there's other things that you can do that I cannot do so well. I need to control myself. Avoid pride. Charity does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, not e easily provoke, or thinketh no evil. Right? I need to be patient with those around me. Not only do I not need to do any evil, right? Not even think any evil thoughts towards my brothers and sisters. Charity rejoiceth not in inequity, but rejoiceth in the truth. You know, I don't need to celebrate with my brothers and sisters in Christ when they're doing things that are ungodly. We need godly correction. We need to show love to them, bring them back to, bring them back to God, bring them back to the correct ways. But do everything in love. Rejoice in the truth. And finally, charity beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. With my brothers and sisters in Christ here, we all have the same hope. We're all waiting for that second coming of Christ. So we bear each other's burdens. We help each other get through the difficulties of life. We share the same hopes. We endure together. And we love one another. But not only should we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, we also need to have love for the lost people of this world. Right? In 1 Thessalonians, it tells us, The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, 
Not just some men. Not just, not just those men and women that love Christ as you do, but towards all men to the end so we may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. We need to show love to the lost. We don't need to condemn them. How do we do that? You preach the gospel. Right? There's nothing more, nothing that can show more love because all the works, let them know, that all the works of their flesh are going to fade away. This is what it says here in our verses, chapter 24, For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower of fadeth away. That's what we need to be preaching to people. Yes, you may be a good person. Yes, you may have done this and that. But all that means nothing to God. That all fades away. The only thing that's going to stand is your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We don't have respect for persons, right? We just don't tell this to the good people either. We just don't tell the people that we respect and look in our lives. We need to find everyone in this world. We need to find the drug addicts, the ones that are prostituting themselves, the ones that are in a hole, the ones that no one else seems to love. If we want to be holy, those are the people Jesus reached to. We need to be like God and reach down, share the word of God with these people, with all people, no matter their status in life. Preach them the gospel and bring them to Christ. Because as our final verse, verse 25 says, But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. It'll be there forever. The word of God is not going away. We need to share it with not just the people that we love or are lovable to us. We need to share it with everyone, no matter their social economic status, their behavior, their background. And that is being the second part of being holy, the second part of our growth, of our sanctification. So, in conclusion here, how do we wrap this up, right? God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be separated unto him. We've got to prepare our minds, right? Gird up the loins of your mind. Get ready. Get prepared. Be constantly ready to do this. Direct your focus towards God. Be singularly focused on the things of the Lord and do our best to be the obedient to the commandments of God. Right? We're all going to fall short, but we need to do our best to be as obedient children. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was asked, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. Are you showing God love and then respect that he needs by having the proper fear of him? Do you have the reverent fear of him in your heart? Are we following the greatest commandment in the world by loving God? Is our heart purely loving our neighbors? loving all the people of this earth, everyone that you pass by in your life. As Jesus said, that second commandment is just as important as the first. And when we follow those two, and we put those in the forefront of our mind, that's where all the law hangs on. That's everything that we should be doing. And when you're doing that, we'll be sanctifying ourselves in Christ. Examine your life. Only you know what you're doing, right? If you're not right with God, if you're not right with God today, start today. Sanctify yourself 
Start fearing God. Start loving people. And be ye holy, for he is holy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, God. And thank you for, for loving us and sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the, the cross for us and, and imputing his righteousness onto us, God, and give us direction so how we can be holy just as you are holy, God. I pray that we all begin to set ourselves aside today. We all start to separate ourselves to become and start acting like Christians, God. I pray that your spirit begins to move in us, convict in us, and, and make us fear you, Lord, with a healthy fear. So we want to do what is right. We don't want to stand in front of you one day and say, God, I willfully disobeyed you because, because I had no fear. God, help us to love other people. God, place in our hearts to share the gospel with someone today that normally we wouldn't talk to, Lord. Let us love everyone, no matter we have no respect to persons just like you. As we move forward in this morning's service, Lord, I pray that you stay with us. You fill Brother Aaron with the Spirit so he may preach something that's edifying to us and that you fill everyone in this room. Keep them filled with your Spirit, with their, with their ears open so they can hear something that they may take and apply to their personal lives. And we will give you all the honor and glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen.